So we're jumping back into our Ephesians series. We've got a couple more weeks of this series before we are done through the whole book of Ephesians. Amazing. Today I'm going to talk about the first part of Ephesians 5, and the next week Grant and I are actually doing a joint teaching on marriage and probably a little bit of parenting, but mostly marriage. And, you know, we don't teach jointly very often because this is not... Um, the melding of our minds is not necessarily the most seamless of processes. Anybody can relate to that? We have entirely different approaches to process, to creation, to all those kinds of things, but we really are excited about coming together to kind of talk about what does kingdom marriage actually look like. So that's happening next week. Um, but today we're going to dive into uh, the first part of Ephesians 5, which if I'm just being completely honest with you, when I read this, I thought... <clears throat> Anybody else, Lord, that we could bring in to talk about these things because this is really awkward and uncomfortable, but here's the thing, like, we don't get to just decide what's in the Bible and what's not, right? We don't get to decide, oh, I like these verses and these I'll pretend I never saw. It just doesn't work that way. So I said, okay, Lord, I'll do it. I'll do my best to articulate what is some of the do's and don'ts of kingdom living, but before we get into that text, I want to talk to you about two modes of context that I think is going to help us understand this. And the first one is a little bit of a recap. So Ephesians, the book of Ephesians, if you've been journeying this with us, from chapter 1 to chapter 6 is like a nice flow. And what starts is an understanding of your identity and what God has made available to you, and then what is sort of required of you because of that, and then here's exactly what that looks like. That's sort of the flow that's happening in Ephesians. So we've been talking about our identity, what God has made available to us, the fact that we are now located in Christ, seated in heavenly places, locked up with all the heavenly blessings. If you guys want to hear more about that, you can catch it on our podcast. But if we isolate what's happening in chapter 5 from our identity, it doesn't really make sense. It has to flow from that place. So that's one mode of context before we dive into this. And the second one is this. Have any of you guys ever experienced something where you kind of come to a cyclical revelation? It's like there's a couple, at least in my life, there's a couple of core themes that God has put in me that I seem to cycle around back to every year or two. Anybody else like that? I can be over here learning about something else, and within a matter of months, I'll be back to this sort of core revelation, that, that foundation of my life. And this one, for me, I came into when I was an 18-year-old college freshman, and I met this crazy guy, and he was just sold out for Jesus, and I thought he was so weird, but also I was really enamored by his faith, and that guy, Grant Wartman, still weirds me out sometimes with his faith and his solidness in it, but this, this understanding was something he brought me into as a revelation as an 18-year-old kid that I still come back around to time and time again, and it's this. God has a way. He has a specific way. There are lots of ways to live our life, in those ways, there's a lot of good that can come from that, but there is only one way that produces the really good stuff, right? Psalm 18, 19 says it this way, our Lord, or, or the Lord, depending on your translation, our Lord, his way is perfect. God's ways, in other words, the way he designed the world to work, the, the instructions he gives us to live, they are the perfect path to walk down. The temptation of life in general is to borrow other people's paths, but we all hope that it ends in the same place in the end. It just doesn't. 
So understanding that God has a way and then understanding what that way is, is one of these revelations I come back to every now and then in my life and it's happening again right now and I'm just enamored on an even deeper level of what does this look like? The ways of God and the perfection that are in them. So I wanna talk about that because what we're diving into in Ephesians 5 is really highlighting what is some of that way. And what we have to understand is that we have a constant internal struggle to define what that way is. And I just wanna implore you to make sure that the Bible is how you're defining what that way is. Because it is the way of the Lord that is perfect. So let's dive in, shall we? Make sure I don't wanna say anything else about that. Oh, one other thing. Deuteronomy 11:26. It's this interesting verse where God says to the Israelites, "Today I've set before you a blessing and a curse." Oh, thanks, Lord. That sounds real good, <laughs> right? And He said, "It's really going to be up to you. What are you going to choose? You're going to go the way of the blessing. You're going to go the way of the curse." I don't believe what the Lord was doing there was trying to manipulate us, trying to be like, you know, choose the good way because the bad way is going to have consequences. What He's essentially saying is that my way is perfect. I designed the world to work this specific way. If you choose not to do that, that's okay. I gave you that choice, but you can't be fooled. You're not going to end up with the same blessing as people who go the way of the Lord. Does that make sense? All right, so let's dive in. Ephesians 5, um, starting in verse 1. Today I'm going to be reading out of the Passion Translation. It should be up on the screen for you. It's also on your U version. It's the one that says TPT, if you want to look that up on that app. Okay, here we go. <clears throat> verse 1. Be imitators of God in everything you do, for then you will represent your Father as his beloved sons and daughters, and continue to walk surrendered to the extravagant love of Christ, for he surrendered his life as a sacrifice for us. His great love for us was pleasing to God, like an aroma of adoration, a sweet healing fragrance. Be imitators of God. This is a command. It's an instruction, right? Interestingly enough, this is maybe more than the third time, but at least the third time this same command has been issued. The first time we see this is in Genesis 1. We are made in the image of God. And then our job is to take his image into the earth, to fill the earth and subdue it, to have dominion over it. Are you guys remembering the story in the Garden of Eden? And when that happened, what God was saying was not just that we are a reflection of him, but that our calling is to be his reflection on the earth, to go out in how we live and to be a bearer of his image in how we do that. Okay, so we're made in his image, and then we carry his image with us, and that's how we shape the world. Jesus reissued this command, a level up, after the cross, right before he, and the resurrection, right before he ascended, he gave us the great commission. And in that commission, what did he say? Go into all the world and preach the kingdom. Do the stuff. Why? Because he's bringing us back to that original thing in Genesis 1. Let me remind you, you are here on the earth to be an image bearer of God. And as you go into the earth, you take that with you. Here we see in Ephesians 5, Paul Paul reiterating the same thing. Be an imitator of God. Bear his image in everything that you do. So I would say this is something we should be paying attention to, right? We covered this a few weeks ago. The concept in Ephesians that Paul brings of, of walking in a manner worthy of the calling This is what he's saying. He's taking that deeper. Listen, what's happened to you now that you are in Jesus has brought you into a place where there's expectation on that. As a son or a daughter of God, there's expectation in how you walk in the earth. It's not a heavy thing, but it just is what it is. And so again, if we're taking this back to the ways of God, what this is doing is saying, as I imitate the Lord, I am stepping into what his way is. 
This is why it gets really weird when believers go on other people's ways because you're like, well, wait a second. I thought you were supposed to be an image bearer, but you're pursuing something that's count, you know, counter to what Jesus said for us to do. So we have this progression. We have this, here's your identity. Here's what's available to you. Here's what's required. And then now you're called to be an imitator of God. And to be an imitator of God means there's certain things that you can and cannot do. So let's dive in. Everybody buckle up. Just get ready to be uncomfortable. I don't know why we don't. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about um, procreation a little bit. I'm going to do it in the most family-friendly way that I can. Um, but here's the reality. The church should be talking about sex. Because the Bible is really clear, and if we want to be healthy people, we need to understand how and why God created sex. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. Um, Here we go. Verse 3, and have nothing to do with sexual immorality, lust, or greed. For you are his holy ones, and let no one be able to accuse you of them in any form. What this means, another way you could say this, is being above reproach. In other words, like if somebody brings an accusation to you, nobody believes it because they just know that could never be true about you. That's what this means, okay? Um, Verse 4, guard your speech, forsake obscenities and worthless insults. These are nonsensical words that bring disgrace and are unnecessary. Instead, let worship fill your heart and spill out in your words. For it has been made clear to you already that the kingdom of God cannot be accessed by anyone who is guilty of sexual sin or who is impure or greedy. For greed is the essence of idolatry. How could they expect to have an inheritance in Christ's kingdom while doing these things? <clears throat> here we go. There's two categories of sin that Paul is really talking about here. Sins that are sexual in nature and sins that are about your words. Here's why I believe these are important. Both of these things are in direct connection to our calling as an image bearer. Your calling, let me put it this way, your reproductive organs, okay, they have been given to you to be a reflection of God. Well, that's really awkward. I get that. But here's what it means. God is a creator, He is all about creation. That is his primary mode. He is a life bringer. So the parts of your body that reflect that part of God, they are really important because they are central to how we go out and be his image bearers. You having children, raising children, filling the earth and subduing it is the first instruction we were ever given as people. So when we take these particular reproductive organs and we use them outside of the way that God has called them to use, we are in direct violation of the core of who he is. Does this make sense? Is your body physically capable of doing those things? Probably. Is that make it right? No. Are you tracking with me? God has a way. He gets to say, this is the way that the earth is run. He gets to have permission to do that because he created it. We get to say, because we're made in his image, and because he gets choice, he gives us choice, we can't actually be made in his image if we don't have choice. So it's partially about our ability to give God unencumbered worship, but it's partially about the fact that we are made in his image and he gets choice. So is it okay for you to go out and do whatever you want with your body? There's an argument you could make, okay, maybe, but that's your choice to go against the way that God set an order. Does that make sense? So when we understand this, this is not permission to judge people, to shame them, to call them names. It's permission to just say God has a way and that way leads to blessing. 
Your reproductive organs are designed to be used in the sanctity of marriage because that is how God created it and that's how we reflect his image in the earth. Can you use your body in different ways? You can, but it's not how God said it. Does that make sense? I think we get really weird, especially in this part of America where we're all you know, fairly conservative people and we start to say, well, that's just weird and I don't like that and so I wanna shame people. I wanna look at the LGBT movement and go, you know, something's wrong with you. I would submit to you that the Lord is not looking and saying something's wrong with you in, a, in that type of a vein. He's looking and saying, if you want my blessing in your life, you gotta get onto my path. Does that make sense? If you wanna be able to fulfill your calling, you gotta be able to do it in a way that you bear my image and that is not my image. Does that make sense? So it changes the narrative completely from I'm condemning you because I just don't like you to understanding even like a higher perspective of what's really going on. In fact, I would submit to you that God gives people permission to choose which way they wanna go. And in some crazy world, he's okay with what you choose. Of course, it kinda of breaks his heart because he's provided a way for you to have all this you know, blessing in your life, but he, he's, he honors the fact that he made you in his image enough to let you choose for yourself. We just have to make sure we're choosing the right thing. So there's sexual sins. This is why if we look in the Old Testament, actually there's a lot of laws about how things happening with your reproductive system keep you out of the temple of God. Like a woman who's menstruating can't go into the temple for a certain number of days after childbirth, different things like that. And it's all coming back to, in my personal perspective, it's all coming back to the fact that this part of your body is made in the image of God to reflect his image. And so there's like a different kind of connection point with that than there is with other parts of your body. It's the same with sins of the mouth, of words, right? We see this echoed in scripture many times, but here it is again where Paul is saying, listen, unwholesome talk has no place coming out of your mouth. Proverbs actually tells us what's coming out of your mouth is really coming out of your heart, so maybe a better way to say it is unwholesome thinking has no place in your heart, so it doesn't come out of your mouth, right? But why are sins of your words so important to the Lord? Let's go back to Genesis 1 when he created the world by speaking. He spoke it. What we say is in direct alignment to how we imitate God. Are you guys tracking with me? So I get it. Let me, let me just say, in counseling, if you're familiar with counseling at all, I, I shared with you my brain nerdiness last week. I'll just continue that vein for a second. When you're in a desperate place, cuss words sometimes happen, okay? It's really hard to articulate like true desperation with flowery words. It just doesn't really happen. That's not really what Paul is talking about here, okay? What he's talking about is that when we just ignore our calling that we've been called into, when you're in the throes of wrestling with that calling, the Lord has you in a path that's a little bit different where he's trying to heal what's coming out of your heart. But when you're over here and you're okay with your calling, you just don't care what you say, now you're not reflecting the image of God. Does that make sense? I'm not trying to say it's okay to cuss when you're in desperation. I'm just trying to help you understand that where it comes from and the source is different. You know what I'm saying? So what comes out of your mouth is important to the Lord. Both of these things, again, they tie back to our ability to be an image bearer of God, but there's something else happening here that I think we, we often overlook, especially in this day and age in America. It's this. Jesus does not sexualize people. Jesus does not sexualize people. When God looks at you, there is nothing sexual happening in his mind. 
Every single sitcom you will ever watch sexualizes people. Most every drama, right? We have created this narrative in the world, and let me just put it to you this way. We've created a way of life that's not God's way that says your sexuality is who you are. That's just not biblical. Your sexuality is a part of who you are. It's a part of how you bear the image of God, but it is not central to who you are. It would be the same thing as saying, my hand is who I am, (laughs) right? The way my hand looks, that is me. No, who you are is a spirit being that God created, right? And then what you do with that spirit being, like who you are is the spirit being, what you do is your actions. So we're kidding ourselves if we start to think that we're created in this way where sexualizing people is a normal thing. The best way I can articulate this is when the woman caught in adultery is thrown in front of Jesus. We see so clearly in that story, there is nothing out of him that is remotely like lust. There's nothing coming off of him that is remotely making light of her situation, making jokes about her situation, elbowing with the other Pharisees to comment about what she looks like. None of that is in there. Paul reiterates that. I'll read it to you again. Verse 4, guard your speech, forsake obscenities and worthless insults. These are nonsensical words that bring disgrace, and they're unnecessary. Instead, let worship fill your heart and spill out in your words. We have to catch this in ourselves. If we want to truly be imitators of God, we have to catch the way we joke about people, the things that we comment about them. The way our, I guess the question would be to you, which you can answer in your heart before the Lord, Lord, am I sexualizing people? There is a way to live in this life that's not that. Lust and greed and sexual immorality, what verse 3 is saying, they all come from the same place. They are taking attitudes. They are selfish attitudes. They are, I'm going to get mine. I don't really care how it affects you. True love and true intimacy is a giving action. Well, how God created sex to be in a marriage is a giving action, right? It's not something that I'm taking from you, but that I'm offering to you. That's how God is. He is not taking anything from us. That's what free will even is. So when we move off of that way, we're not bearing his image anymore. I can hear you all saying, okay, Rachel, let's skip on to verse 6. So let's do it, except verse 6 gets worse. So here we go. Uh, <laughs> Don't be fooled by those who speak their empty words and deceptive teachings telling you otherwise. In other words, don't be fooled by people who are going to tell you you can have your way. McDonald's might tell you you can have it your way. You guys remember that old tagline? I was joking with Grant. I'm in a communications group of um, church communicators, like people who make graphics and stuff. And somebody posted a picture of the McDonald's in their area that had a a table tent, you know, like a number that you put, and it said, welcome home on it, and this person said on there, um, when McDonald's has stolen the church's tagline, it's time for the church to get a new tagline, and I was just cracking up, because how many churches say, welcome home is their thing, you know, and uh, McDonald's is taking that, but we can take theirs, uh, have it your way, just kidding. (laughs) We don't want to have it our way, we want to have it God's way, right? And so this is what he's saying, don't be fooled by people who are going to say, it's okay, baby, you do you. It's all good. You know what? What feels right to you, you go for it. A couple years ago in Hobby Lobby and everywhere was that statement, follow your heart. And I would read that and I would go, no, don't follow your heart, guard it. 
The Bible never tells you to follow your heart. We'd all be like aimless people out there, never finishing anything for the glory of God, right? Our heart is supposed to be guarded, as Proverbs tells us. All right, rant for another time. So verse, uh, let me finish verse six. So don't be fooled by those who speak their empty words and deceptive teachings telling you otherwise. This is what brings God's anger upon the rebellious. Don't listen to them or live like them at all. Once your life was full of sin's darkness, but now you have the very light of our Lord shining through you because of your union with him. Again, we see that connected to Christ thing. <clears throat> your mission is to live as children flooded with his revelation light, and the supernatural fruits of his light will be seen in you, goodness, righteousness, and truth. Then you will learn to choose what is beautiful to our Lord. And don't even associate with the servants of darkness because they have no fruit in them. Instead, reveal truth to them. The very things they do in secret are too vile and filthy to even mention. Whatever the revelation light exposes, it will also correct. And everything that reveals truth is light to the soul. This is why the scripture says, Arise, you sleeper, rise up from the dead, and the anointed one will shine his light into you. So be very careful how you live, not being like those with no understanding, but live honorably with true wisdom, for we are living in evil times, and even now. Take full advantage of every day as you spend your life for his purposes. And don't live foolishly, for then you will have discernment to fully understand God's will. I'm going to keep reading until through 21. And don't get drunk with wine, which is rebellion. Instead, be filled with the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And, and your hearts will overflow with a joyful song to the Lord Jehovah. Keep speaking to each other with words of scripture, singing the psalms with praises and spontaneous songs given by the Spirit. Always give thanks to the Father God for every person he brings into your life in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And out of your reverence for Christ, be supportive of each other in love. This is the bulk of the text we're going to talk about today. So let me just make a note about a couple of things. <clears throat> What's being reiterated here is this theme of what it looks like to be an image bearer of God, right? Of the holiness that's required. Where we get off balance is when we pursue our correct actions and our holiness behavior over the fuel source of it being the surrender to the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? That's what we call religion. That's what we call works-based or striving mentality. What God wants is for you to be so in love with him, so confident in who you are, that these things flow out of your life, okay? It is okay to borrow good behavior while you're working on your issues with the Lord. That's a good thing to do. But if you're borrowing good behavior and you're ignoring your source, something is wrong. We talked about that last week and being like a disconnected person. So what, what, what does this look like? What we put into our body, well, the music that we listen to, the shows that we watch, it affects us. It affects us because it starts to do what this says in verse 6, not being fooled by other people who have empty words trying to let you live your own life. That, that it's, it, it, it inputs into you ideas that you can have a good life that's apart from God's way. Deuteronomy 11 is a theme that's reiterated all throughout scripture that God has a way that brings blessing. Hebrews, I believe it's 11.6, even says it, uh, yeah, Hebrews 11.6. It says that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. 
This was an uncomfortable verse for me at first because I was like, I don't want to feel like I'm seeking you for a reward, Lord. Like, that just feels wrong. I want to seek you because I love you. But the reality here is that there's benefit to the ways of God. And why there's benefit is because in the world today, it might not feel so beneficial at times. You might be so counteracting culture by living in righteousness that the Lord's like, hey, don't worry. I'm going to reward you. It will feel worth it to you in the end to stand for me. I want to tell you a really uncomfortable story, but I feel like it's important for us to understand what this looks like because as we're made in the image of God, the actions that we do, they carry weight even if we don't want them to. And years ago, I was talking with a pastor, heard a pastor share this story um, of a woman that they were counseling, he and his wife were counseling, and um, she had a lot of physical body issues, a lot of emotional issues related to her body, and also a lot of frustrations with her dad, but her dad was a really good guy. And so she was conflicted, like, why do I feel so frustrated about my dad? Because he's a really good guy, but I have these, this, like, root thing. And so in their counseling, what came up was she remembered being a preteen and going to see the movie Titanic with her family. I personally have seen that movie something like a hundred times. I don't know. I'm just kidding. Not that many, but I was one of those kids that was obsessed with the Titanic. I don't know why. Those of, those of you that are parents of kids like that, just remind them not to be so morbid. I have a kid that turned out just like me, and I'm always telling him, let's pick a different story to obsess over. But they went to go see this Titanic movie, and the scene that you all are familiar with where the woman is being drawn in a very unveiled light. And um, the, the daughter in this family looked at her dad when that scene came on the screen, when the woman was laying there naked on the screen. And her dad was looking at the screen. And something sunk inside of her where she began to believe that's how my dad thinks about me. Now, most men aren't like that. They're not thinking that about their daughters. There's some really problematic people out there that do, but for the most part, that's not a normal thought that goes through a dad's mind. But to her, not being able to articulate what she was feeling, that action where her dad, who was a good man who loved Jesus but was not reflecting the image of God, affected her for the course of her whole life. Here's the thing. We have to bear the image of God in everything that we do. And you need to ask the Lord how to help you be able to do that in a way that is freeing. Where we're not doing this whole, you know, I have to put myself under this enormous standard, but that I'm doing this because I want to honor you. What does this look like on a very practical level? In your home, what do you do when there's lovemaking scenes on TV or in movies? Have you talked about that as a family? In our home, what we decided to do was we don't even watch people on screen that are kissing. Not because we believe that's like, you know, I mean, I'll ki we'll kiss in front of our kids. But, so it's not like we're saying that's terrible. But I'm training them to realize when you see something of a coming together, you back up. Because that is not for you to see. Right? And, and the reason is because I believe as we're made in the image of God, we are not called to sexualize people. So I don't want my kids to look at Grant and I, and Grant doesn't either, for, us, for them to look at us and say, oh, well, it's okay to look at this or that because, you know, we're also better over here, right? No, guys. The actions that we're making, they have consequences. So, all right. Uh, here we go. A little bit more. Verse 11, and don't even associate with the servants of darkness because they have no fruit in them. And I just want to say one thing about this and then one other verse. I think in our conservative area in Oklahoma, we have accustomed ourselves to think like about people who have sin. Do you know what I'm saying? Like when somebody is a sinful person, we're like, oh my gosh, 
you know? Hide yourself from them. And then some people use this verse in verse 11, well, we're not even supposed to associate with the servants of darkness because, you know, they have no fruit in them to, to cause us to set up huge walls between the world and the church. I just want to submit to you that if your theology does not let the light of God be more powerful than any darkness you can face, your theology needs a little bit of an upgrade. Okay, we, what this is saying is not that we hide from people who have darkness in them, but that the second part of this verse, instead, we reveal truth to them. Instead, we come in there and we say, do you see this light shining inside of me? This is the way of God. This is the blessing that comes when we follow his way. Let me show you how to get off your path and get onto the path of God. Are you guys tracking with me? I just feel like this is an important thing to, to just even acknowledge because I know in our area this is so difficult. Um, I, I was telling Grant this recently. A couple of weeks ago, I was posting something on Instagram for our church account, and the Lord said, put hashtag OKC on there, which is a funny thing for the Lord to say, and I said, okay. So I went and looked up what is the OKC hashtag. Oh, my holy love of God. I could not even believe the way the world has hijacked this hashtag. It was like, don't go look, okay? Let me just spare you the details. But I was looking through it and my heart broke and I'm like, where is the church? Guys, where is the church hashtags, OKC, so that when you look and see in the freaking Bible belt, we can't even see any churches on the hashtag for our city name? Like something is wrong with this. But we have to understand what Paul is saying here. And what Paul is not saying is don't associate at all. What Paul is saying is when you associate, don't shrink to their level. If you're going to associate, that usually means there's like a sharing of the minds, right? There's like a camaraderie there. And he's saying don't do that. Be in their life, but be the influencer in that relationship. We all have people in our life that cause us to kind of like, like lower our standards, Those are not healthy people for you to associate with. You can be around them, but you need to go into those settings knowing I'm the influencing party here. I want the light in me to shine onto them while we're together. One last note. While we're on all the hot topics, we'll just throw them all in at the same time. So verse 18, don't get drunk with wine, which is rebellion. So this is such a hot topic in the church, especially in our area. I was listening to a podcast recently, and the the speaker said something that really caught my attention, and he made this comment about what he called the professional weaker brother. So you guys familiar with the scripture that says, for the weaker brother, we give things up. That's a total paraphrase. It doesn't even come close to what it actually says. But you guys familiar? Paul says, hey, listen, they're talking about meat being dedicated to idols. And he's like, if this causes you to stumble, we'll all give it up because we honor you in your process for the weaker brother. And the podcast speaker was saying, he said, there's people who are professional weaker brothers who like delight in making everybody feel bad about things that are not causing anybody to stumble. They just don't like them. Does that make sense? But so when the Bible says not to be drunk with wine, what is it talking about? If you've ever been around somebody that likes to get drunk, I don't know if you have, I've, I, don't, I personally really never drink alcohol, I don't actually like the way it tastes, so you know, whatever, that's my thinking about it. But I've been around a lot of people, and I've been around a lot of people who like to get drunk. And there's something about the way they feel which causes them to drink that much. There's something about the reaction it has in their body. This is what Paul is trying to get into. You're not supposed to get drunk on wine or alcohol because you're accessing something that God wants to possess inside of you. 
be filled with the Holy Spirit is not like a cliche. It's not like a, we don't like alcohol, so don't drink, and instead you should be filled with the Holy Spirit, but nobody actually is. What he's really saying is that you really should be filled with the Holy Spirit in such a way that it gives you that same feeling of freedom that you get on your fourth or fifth drink. That's what this is saying. So, you know, I would say to you, if you struggle with alcohol, make sure people in your life know that because we don't want to be drinking alcohol around you because that would be wrong. Why? Because we're going to support people in their journey. But if that's not a struggle for you at all, there still is a fine line there of what you're gravitating to. It goes back into this whole thing of taking and taking instead of looking at, Lord, how do I give myself to you in surrender? So the picture of all of these hot topics where Paul is saying, don't do this and don't do this and don't do this, how it fits in the big picture of our identity is that essentially we are called to be bubbling over with the presence of God all the time. That's what it means to bear the image of God. Not obnoxiously, not like quoting scripture to every person that wants to have like a heartfelt conversation. (laughs) We all know that one person, right? You're like, okay, just talk to me about something like from your heart, you know, I know what the Bible says about this. And so we want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So this is where I want to land this turbulent plane um, because I really believe the theme that the Lord has been putting on my heart for today is to understand all the do's and don'ts are there, how they fit into your identity, how they fit into the calling that's been placed on you to bear the image of God, to walk in a manner of having that direct access to the throne of God that we've been talking about through this series. And so that's my challenge to you, is to ask the Lord, what about this do I need to look into on a deeper level? What about this do I need to surrender to you? What I'm not saying is that you blindly just follow all of this and you never give another thought to it. I believe our job as preachers here is to bring thought-provoking content for you to take to your personal relationship with God and to let him be the Lord of your life. That's the way church is supposed to work. If you're blindly following everything I say, this could get weird real fast, right? And so I'm just asking you to just look at this and say, Lord, you know, is there anything that I need highlighted in my life? And the last thing I want to say is in our pre-service prayer, there was a couple of prophetic words that I think apply really beautifully to this message, and I want to share those really quickly. And one of them was about um, the Holy Spirit being here to captivate hearts and to bring salvation, essentially. And what we felt like was not so much salvation like the sinner's prayer, but I really felt like the Lord was saying, "There's the Holy Spirit is here this morning to captivate your heart, to give you a vision to go on the way of God. Does that make sense? To make the choice to follow the way that he wants you to follow. And another prophetic word that somebody else had was about God lifting burdens today. And I believe this applies really beautifully. And so we can't look at these do's and don'ts and condemn and shame ourselves. We need to look at them and say, how do I rise up, Lord? How do I get stronger in you? How do I be more filled instead of just going, oh, I did these things. Oh, I suck. That's not conviction. Conviction is, hey, you're better than that because you're made in the image of God. So let's rise up into that. And the last thing um, was, uh, well, two more. I felt like the Lord showed me a picture of a banner kind of over the church this morning, and and what was on the banner said, joy overcomes all. And I want to share that with you guys today, and that's where we're going to land, is because I feel like we need to understand that God is in a good mood toward you, and he is happy about your life. And so it's through joy that we overcome 
whatever the Lord is putting his finger on. It's through joy and it's through expectation of his goodness that we rise into our ultimate identity. And honestly, it's through joy that I can even dive into these scriptures with you because it's not about the do's and don'ts of life and whether you think they should be that way or not. It's about this is God's way. I don't need understanding to follow God's way. I just need surrender. So that's what verse two even talks about. Surrender with the Lord is really best defined as trust. It's trust. And that's what the Lord's inviting you in today is a a relationship where you can trust him to have these conversations. So um, I wanna pray for you guys to end our time this morning. And we'll turn on a little bit of music. And if something's burning in you and you need to process that or you want prayer for anything, just come on down to the front. Um, Otherwise, you guys will be dismissed after I pray. But I don't want anybody to miss it. If you're like, man, I just need some extra prayer to help lift this burden off of me, don't, don't leave this moment without getting that, okay? Um, man, so God, we just want to thank you that you created a way, and Lord, I thank you that your ways are not mysterious, they're just specific, and so Lord, as we lean into you in this season, would you reveal your ways that are actually hiding in plain sight? So Father, I pray a blessing over every person that's here this morning to be filled with the presence of the Holy Spirit so much that it overflows every aspect of their life. Father, I pray as they dive into this chapter and their personal time with you that they would just be illuminating their life before you, God, that you would be speaking words of hope and life and expectation and goodness. So I just bless every person here with your joy. I bless every person here with your goodness. And we just thank you for what you're doing in our lives right now. In Jesus' name, amen.